dust and breath me all in it less we are human we are holy we're part of a bigger story we welcome to this good word where every week we look at one single word in an endless discovery of reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. My name is Steve Weens. I'm a pastor, I'm a writer, and I'm a father of three crazy boys. My hope with this podcast is to create an environment where you can continually discover who you actually are in the world. So feel free to check out my website at steveweens.com, S-T-E-V-E-W-I-E-N-S.com, where you can find links to my blog, to purchase my book, which is called Beginnings, The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life, and also links to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Enjoy the podcast, everybody. So I am here. This is This Good Word, episode 32. I'm here with AJ Swoboda. AJ, hello, my friend. Hey, Steve. It's great being with you. Uh, AJ is the author of five books. Is that right? Five books or is it six? I wish you'd done your homework. It's actually seven, Steve. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought I had done my homework. Yeah. Clearly, I have. All right, so I know yeah. about I know about Messy. I know about tongues and trees. I know about introducing evangelical eco-theology, which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know about A Glorious Dark, and I know about your most recent one, The Dusty Ones, which mm-hmm. I'll talk to you. I want to find out a little bit more about today, and that's the one I'm reading. Uh, yep. What are the two other ones that, you're, that you've the, Yeah, published? so two, two other ones called um, – one is called Scripting Pentecost, which is about uh, Pentecostal charismatic liturgy. Yep. And then one more called Blood Cries Out, which is a, uh, a book on Pentecostals in the environment. Okay. So is that your background, Pentecostals, Pentecostalism? No. 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 Yeah, so I, I, I didn't become a Christian until I was 16 in my math class in high school. I uh, heard the two girls behind me arguing about when Jesus was coming back. They'd been reading the, the Left Behind series. <laughs> yeah. I went, went home and started reading my Bible and... Um, became a Christian about a week later. Wow. So no, no I, I, and that was when I was 16 and I didn't, uh, I st- started going to a Southern Baptist church for the first couple years. And then I went to college at the university of Oregon and, uh, had some pretty, I don't know, pretty incredible experiences, uh, at a, at a church there. And my life got really kind of turned upside down. So were your parents, your parents were not Christians, I assume. No, yeah, no. My 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 father. Uh, I have a, a great a great dad who lives in Montana, and he uh, is a, is actually a fairly you know de- devout Buddhist. But my mom and my stepfather um, actually became Christians about two years after I did. I had the privilege of baptizing both of them. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Um, and are they? Where do they live now? Uh, the, yeah, all of the my mom and stepdad, we all live here in Oregon. So I okay. live here in Portland, and um, so my, yeah, they live here in Oregon too. Cool. So AJ, you're a pastor, you're a professor, you're an author, uh, and 
you are married to Quinn, and you have a little guy named Elliot. Yep, yep. Uh, and we have three chickens, three emotionally unstable chickens. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. Okay. Yeah. So, like, so like, who who goes out there and gets the eggs and stuff? Is that your job? Is that Elliot's job? Well, Elliot does a good deal. Um, I I do it. My wife does it. We um, we all, we all do it. And we've got kind of a little urban farm in our backyard here in in downtown Port. We look kind of close to downtown Portland in uh, there, this area called the Hawthorne District, which is featured in the. There's a documentary called Portlandia, which you may have heard yeah. about. Oh yeah. Um, and so we live in that that neighborhood, and um, yeah, we have three chickens: Mimi, Popo, Jojo, Anastasia, and Steve Overman. Those are the <laughs> names of our three three children. Mimi, Popo, Jojo. Uh huh. Anastasia I mean, oh, and wow. Steve Overman. So I have a question about the chickens. I mean, wh- what is the lifespan of a chicken, and what happens? You know, mm. when mm. you're starting to look. I mean, is that dark? I mean, we're gonna start dark like that, but. Yeah, man. You know, you're just hitting you're hitting some sensitive ground right now. <laughs> we we actually almost just lost one a couple oh, weeks no. ago. Got attacked by a by a raccoon, and I ran out in my underwear in yes. the middle of the night to save it, and I did. But man, yeah. So the the average chicken age, in our experience, is about four to five years, and okay. the last year, uh, parallel to the human experience, you don't really lay much of an egg at the end of the last year so we are coming close to the first sort of natural death of one of our chickens and we we do anticipate making a stew when we're finished yeah although the the meat is not the best at that stage in the chicken's life nor is it in all that enjoyable to eat an animal that you named no exactly now which one is it i mean is it is it it, yeah, Mimi Popo Jojo's yeah. getting close, getting close to the end, and it's it's tough to watch. She she's starting to lose her mind, and um, <laughs> I'm sorry, she, I'm laughing. I, I can't. I, I'm, it's okay. I'm not exactly laughing. I am a little bit, but it's really the older she gets, the the more conservative she she's becoming too. <laughs> so she's kind of a Fox News chicken. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, Mimi, Popo, Jojo. Long conversations right. about Trump and whatnot. It's it's well, a well you know, she's she's gonna she's gonna be that. I mean, that's that's what you get with chickens is, is really naturally. naturally. All right, so um, I want to hear about your mom's gazpacho. You write about it. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it tantalizes me. Gazpa- I love gazpacho. Yes. Tell me about you. So your mom is a gardener, uh, yeah. and you write about her gazpacho. You write about a lot of great things, which we're gonna get into. But tell me about this amazing gazpacho. Yeah, well, I'm assuming you're asking me because of my book. Yeah, um, the dusty rather ones. Than just, rather than just randomly. Pulling it but... out of the air. <laughs> <laughs> no, I read about it. I read about yeah. it in the dusty yeah. ones. It's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, well, whole, the I... whole, is it the intro or the first chapter is called yeah. My Mom's Gazpacho. I mean, yeah, that's Mom's brilliant. Gazpacho. Yeah, Yeah. so the, the, the kind of, the, the this book that I wrote, The Dusty Ones, which is a, a book that, that recently came out about uh, three weeks ago, is on a theme in the Bible that I've, I've actually never really seen anybody write on, and that's on the theme of wandering in the Bible. And, um, you know, there's a lot of books on the journey. There's a lot of books on, you know, spirituality, Christian faith, but there's very few books that deal with this theme of wandering. And I draw the, this parallel between wandering in the Bible, which often is actually really good. Wandering yeah. is not always bad. In fact, God sometimes is the author of the wandering experiences for God's people, is that whenever God wanders, 
he always does it with the end in mind. He never does it just to do it. He always does it because he wants to get somewhere. And I draw the kind of parallel with my mom. When I was a kid, my mom would garden and and she she would make this soup at the end of the year called gazpacho, which is this just delicious cold tomato-based soup. Very few people have actually had good gazpacho before. And I, I talk about how my mom, you know, when she would plant and garden, she wouldn't just do it for the sake of doing it. She would do it because she had gazpacho in mind. I mean, there's a whole, you know, kind of theme in the Bible of God. God doesn't really initiate things that he doesn't finish. Yeah. Um, and, and ultimately, God is a lot like my mom in that sense, that God doesn't just garden for the sake of gardening. When God started the garden a long time ago, he didn't just do it because he wanted some cool vegetables. God didn't start the garden because he wanted more vegetables. You know, God had a deeper purpose in mind. And ultimately, that purpose was... Uh, to bring to completion all that which he has begun, as Paul says in the book of Philippians. It's funny, there's a lot of, in Portland, it's totally fine to be a spiritual seeker. Everybody's a spiritual seeker. They're all on the journey. Um, everyone's a spiritual seeker here. I don't know anybody who's not, uh, I don't know any atheists in my neighborhood. Everybody's spiritual on some level. And even the atheists who I do know are very spiritual people, at least they claim to be. Yeah. But it's totally unacceptable to be a spiritual finder. And the minute you're a spiritual finder, you're close-minded, arrogant, and bigoted. Right. And I, I, I think that the Christian narrative, as we talk about wandering, is not just about seeking. It is about finding, too, that God yeah. has an end in mind. He wants us to get somewhere. Yeah. Um, so that's what my mom's gazpacho is all about. I love that. I love that definition. And, I, and um, what you have in your book, wandering is not an absence of faith, but mm. a central component of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. I totally agree with that. I, I, and, and I think as we even see, I think even Jesus in, in the wilderness, I think even his 40 days, I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think that was just some robotic, well, I know I'm, I know it's going to be 40 days. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know I'm going to get tempted here. I know, I know what I'm going to say here. I think that was a wandering. I, I, I think yeah. that was a, that was a learning experience for him. And so I wholeheartedly agree that that wandering has purpose. Uh, it's it's hard. I hate it. I hate it when it happens. I never planned for it, but um, but it is a beautiful thing. I absolutely agree. And as pastors, it's interesting to be able to shepherd people through the wandering experiences without giving them fourteen million answers, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Or giving false. But you know, the the truth is, and one of the dangers of this book, if I was to write, uh, if I was to write a a, a sort of journal you know, academic response to this book, a peer-reviewed processed journal of, of what my thoughts are on this book. My greatest critique of this idea of wandering is that people can assume that all wandering is good. There's actually bad wandering in the Bible, too. There's good yeah. wandering and bad wandering. Not all wandering is bad, but not all wandering is good. Pastorally, discerning between the two is very is very difficult at times. Discerning if somebody's wandering because God's initiating it, or discerning if somebody's wandering because they're being unfaithful to God. There are times for both. Yeah. But this idea that we baptize all wandering as sort of a, a result of the fall, uh, to me is a... I mean, even Jesus wandered in the desert. And I, I don't believe Jesus, if I recall from the gospel stories, I don't recall Jesus' desert narrative was the response of the fact that he uh, cussed in his you know, junior <laughs> high years and he was starting <laughs> to struggle with all the sort of things that us humans, right. mortals, deal with. No, I mean, his no, he was led. Was, he was led he out. He was led by the Spirit of God yeah. to go. That, that is, isn't it an interesting theme, theme in the Bible? God consistently calls his people to places 
where they don't have any water. Uh, But God always takes people into places where they're waterless. Yes. And I've I've often wondered why, why does God remove us from our water sources other than in those wandering experiences? We may not have all the answers we want, but we have the God that we really need. Um, because we become incredibly dependent on God um, well, and in, I, in those experiences. I think even, so it's Lent right now, and I don't know if you practice Lent, and I don't know, if, mm-hmm. I don't know how you practice Lent. Part of, the, one, part of the things that I do is I give up something. So the thing that I've given up, um, I just had this re- recent, and it sounds so basic, but uh, I was sort of white-knuckling it. I was making it, but I was white-knuckling it. And then I realized... The point actually is to every time I'm feeling this craving for this thing to stop and turn, you know, to stop and turn, Mm. stop Mm. and turn toward God. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm I'm trying to get my life from somewhere else. And I've just Mm. recently found actually some um, like some life in that. And that I I know Mm. it sounds so basic, but but I think that's the purpose of being led out into the wilderness where there is no water, where you have to go without and you get angry and you get frustrated. And then at some point you realize I have to trust in someone that uh, knows the story a little bit bigger uh, than, you know, than I do. So, um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a really beautiful little section in um, C.S. Lewis's reflections on the Psalms when well, he's talking about Psalm 22 in that Psalm, right? Uh, the, the David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and C.S. Lewis, you know, points out that that was, of course, Jesus's words from the cross that he borrowed. But the one thing C.S. Lewis says about Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which is a cry of somebody in the middle of a wandering experience, was C.S. Lewis pointed out that God never answered the question. Right. Um, God never responds. There's never, ever a response you read the whole book of Job Yep. and the whole book of Job, there's God doesn't answer the questions. Yep. God just gives of himself. And I think there's, we in, in place, if we, if God actually gave us all the answers we'd want, Steve, then we would no longer need him. I think God withholds, he withholds answers because if we had the answers, we would not need him. We have certain answers. Don't get me wrong, but he, God doesn't give us all because if we had all the answers we need, we'd rely on the answers and not on him. And that's a very dangerous place to be. I agree. I, I heard someone say once, as it relates to being called out to do something, and you know, very often we're not really told many of the many of the details. And this person, I can't remember who it was, but they basically said uh, the reason why we don't know is because number one, we would be either too afraid and not do it, or number two, we would be so we would try to do it on our own, and therefore we would screw it up. You know, so either way, we we wouldn't do it because we were afraid, or we would do it, but we would do it on our own. And so I think there's really some legitimacy to that, to to, yeah, to God's withholding, and we hate it. You know, we hate yeah. it, and there's reasons we yep. hate it. But um, okay, talk talk more about good wandering. I like that. Talk talk more about um, where you go in the book, even with what is good wandering, what is uh, not good wandering. Mm. Yeah, what it, it dawned on me, I, I think, really, actually, the, the 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 heartbeat of this book was really first began after I preached through for almost a year. Preached through, and this was the dumbest thing I've ever done. But I, I preached, <laughs> I preached through for almost a year the whole book of Numbers for almost a year. Oh, wow. And I'll tell you, man, by the time that year was done, the people in our community called Theophilus were wildly thankful to move to anything else. Uh, but the whole, I mean, so I, I made this observation 
when I was reading the book of Numbers, and that is that there is an an abnormal number of stories in the Bible in which God saves a group of people or a person and then immediately throws that group into the desert. Yes. Um, so Israel saved from Egypt. Where does God first take them? He does not take them directly to the promised land. Uh, he actually, There's a line in Numbers, uh, if, if I recall it's Numbers, it says that God did not take them the most direct way. Yeah. He took them the most indirect way. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's the story, of course, of uh, of Paul. When Paul becomes a Christian uh, in the book of Galatians, it says that Paul goes into Arabia for a couple years. He yep. goes into the desert for a couple years. Yep. Um, even Jesus, the, the minute, of course, Jesus wasn't being saved, but when the Spirit of God falls on Jesus, there's this immediate uh, throw. Uh, God, God immediately takes him into the desert by the Spirit of God. There's this theme that when God saves people, there is a sense at which they are immediately thrown into some kind of desert experience, which is funny when Chris, you listen to kind of Christian lingo around you know, their relationship with God. You ask a lot of Christians, how's your relationship with God? And they'll often say, you know, it's really in a dry time. It's a dry season. As though that's supposed to be a negative thing. Right. My, my, my response would be, wow, it sounds like you're in the desert. God must be saving you. Yes. That, that's not a mistake. Like that's that's a, a really important part of the process of salvation by which God is bringing you through. So there's the, this positive side of wandering that God initiates. And there is as well wandering that is the result and the consequence of, of, of God's people's unfaithfulness and their uh, unwillingness to repent and, and turn turn to God. Um, so, I mean, there, there's both. And, and, and to say that all wandering is bad or all wandering is good is to be unfaithful to the text. Yeah, true. Uh, there's a diversity of those experiences. You know, even as you're saying that, I'm, I'm thinking of the classic story of the prodigal son. Mm. And there's a, well, there's a wandering that he does, which uh, is not good. Uh, but then he, he, re, he returns. But there's also, it seems to be, a wandering that the older son does, that the older son stays outside of the party the older son won't go back in. The older son won't believe that all that the father has is his. And so there seems to be some some wandering uh, with the older son as well. Yeah, the, it, the, 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 there's, a, there's a geographic uh, wandering. Uh, that is that the, 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 the younger son, you know, physically wanders, but the, the older son spiritually wanders. He, he's at home, but he's not... Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not at home. It's interesting to look at the, the, the depiction of Satan in the Bible, the devil, which we all love talking about the devil, but there's a depiction uh, of, of uh, Satan when he's talking to God. The, the only person in the Bible who's described as being busy is Satan. He wow. comes to God and he says, I've, I've been wandering, this is a joke, but I've been wandering to, to and, and fro, fro all yeah. around the earth. Um, and he's, the, I mean, the essence of Satan is that he is both a geographic and a spiritual wanderer. Yeah. Um, he, he has completely lost his home. The same thing is true of uh, Cain and Abel. When Cain kills his brother Abel, what does God do? He causes Cain to be a wanderer for the rest of his life. And he goes to the land of Nod. And the word Nod uh, is, the word for, is the word for wander, which implies that he's still wandering the earth. Wow. Um, and that's, yeah, that's a very negative depiction of wandering. Some wandering is is really bad there's this there's the eat love pray eat pray love sorry 
um, is it Eat, Pray, Love? Is that yeah. the name of the book? Yeah, Eat, Pray, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's the I, I call it the Eat, Pray, Love syndrome, which is I may I may be you know stretching this too far, but this thing of I, I'm I'm so frustrated with my life, I'm going to leave everything and go go find it somewhere else. And ultimately, that's a that can be a really dangerous theme. This idea yeah. that we need to leave what we're doing in order to find where God is somewhere else. God is God is with us here and now. We don't have to wander somewhere else in order to find God. Um, God is in our midst. He's in our in our presence at all times. I agree totally. Uh, that is beautiful. All right, tell me about your church, Theophilus. Uh, when did this church start, and um, kind of what's the what's the uh, the culture? Oh, that's wow. Okay, uh, I would say we're a weird church of weird people. Very diverse church. Very. Um, funky Portland community in, in inner city and in the urban core of Portland, Oregon called Theophilus, which is a, a guy in the Bible who uh, book of Acts and book of Luke, who kind of was named probably was the funder of both of those books. And we've been around for seven years. My wife and I started the church seven years ago. And um, it's uh yeah, it's the weirdest group of, group of people I've ever met, but I know God loves them a lot. And, you know, there's a kind of classic, you know, as a pastor, I'm, I'm privy to, you know, the depth of our depravity, but how oh, God loves us too. There's an old Augustine line, right? The church is a whore, but she's also my mother. Yeah. And that, that is a adequate description of Theophilus. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a very broken church, but, um, but God really loves it. That's beautiful. And so you're, so, and I joked with you, I think via email, when do you sleep, right? Because you're a professor, mm -hmm. you're a writer, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a pastor. Uh, and oh, by the way, you know, you have a, I'm, I'm sure you do other things too. So how do, does that energize you to be involved with all those things? How do you balance that? Mm. I, uh, my family and I are, um, we are religious Sabbath keepers, so we take a, a Sabbath every week, a very rigid Sabbath. We and if we don't do it, then we, we pretty much fall apart. But every every Wednesday we take a Sabbath, and I'm home for dinner uh, during the during the the weekdays, and that's really important for me as well. Um, there are times that it's easy, and there are times that it, it's really hard. Um, but we really do try to commit to, to living the Sabbath rhythm as best as we know how. I actually do a lot of work with teaching pastors how to keep a Sabbath uh, because most pastors have absolutely no idea how to. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I struggle with that as well. So I should come and attend your your, yeah. uh, your talks. But, you should. Um, you should. <laughs> and, I mean, as long as you do it in, in, in Portland, that gives me a good reason to get out there. Um <laughs> So, so Heschel's book. I mean, what what would you say is the is the seminal work on Sabbath? Mm. Yeah, I yeah Heschel certainly is is uh, uh, is a voice that every everybody needs to be reading. Norm Wearsbud, a Duke, wrote a great book on the Sabbath. Um, uh, Walter Brueggemann's book yeah. on Sabbath as resistance is is phenomenal. But I I work a lot with uh, two people by the name of Matthew and Nancy Sleeth who live in Texas or excuse me in Lexington, Kentucky. They run an organization called Blessed Earth, and the sole purpose of this organization is to teach Christians how to keep a Sabbath. And they've written a number of books that are just top-notch. Matthew wrote a book called 24-6, um, wonderful book on the, pra the practice of keeping a Sabbath. And then Nancy wrote uh, a book called Almost Amish. That's uh, phenomenal uh, okay. as well. But uh, yeah, Sabbath keeping, it's, it's funny how our, our Christian churches, our institutions, 
um, we love like nine of the Sabbath, nine of the commandments, right? But yeah. like the tenth, the tenth one, the fourth commandment is is like systemically we just don't do, which no. is so weird. If I cheated on my wife with my secretary, right. I'd lose my job. But if I didn't Sabbath, I'd probably get a raise. Right? Um, it's oh, creepy my. as all get no, out. You you're know, so like right. Our our Sabbath rhythms are they're just not respected at all institutionally. That's yeah. Weird. No, you're totally right. Um, gosh, in 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 and that's leading to all kinds of bad, all kinds of bad. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, even in my yeah. own life, yeah. um, uh, because it's not celebrated. It's not. It's not. I mean, it's very rarely celebrated. So I'm gonna put uh, Blessed Earth and Matthew Sleeth and um, yeah, his, his wife. I will put those links on the show notes, everybody. So. If you're interested in that, I'll also uh, put the link to Norm Wiersma's book. Uh, and I have mentioned um, Heschel's book on Sabbath before too, but I'll, but I'll put that on there as well. Um, all right, AJ, who is inspiring you these days? Who are you talking to? Who are you reading uh, that you feel mm. like is helping you become more and better who you are? Yeah, man. I actually, I, I wish I could say that I'm reading all the new stuff, but I'm not. I, I'm I've been getting into the desert, the early church fathers and mothers, um, and they're they're feeding my soul. So, Ambrose, uh, Augustine, Tertullian, uh, Augustine. Um, I've been reading. I've been reading a lot of the ancient fathers and mothers in the church. And frankly, I just all the stuff that we think is good now. They've been saying they said two thousand years ago. Yeah. And three thousand. You know, eighteen hundred years ago. And I, I just like finding it in the old people than I do on the, the, in the new, in the new stuff, which is hard to say because I just wrote a book and I want everybody to buy it. But the truth is, like all, all the best <laughs> yeah. stuff has been written. It's all, it's all been written. So I've been reading a lot of, a lot of them. I, um, there's a, there's an author that I've been pushing for so stinking long that every one of your, your listeners needs to, li- needs to get a copy of. There's a guy named Thomas Schmidt, Thomas okay. Schmidt, and he wrote a book called The Scandalous Beauty. And it is maybe the best book on the uh, the resurrection of Jesus ever written. And it doesn't get any attention. It was published by Brazos Press, I think, in 2003 or four. Uh, but the scandalous beauty. Everyone has to read that book. Okay, um, I will. I will put that on the show notes. Absolutely, and I will read that as well. That is yeah. helpful. And then a, a buddy of mine just wrote a book on the Holy Spirit that I, I think is incredible. His name's Paul Pastor. Uh, he's actually part of our church, but he's a kind of He's a kind of well-known writer. He wrote a book called um, uh, "The Face of the Deep," and it's on the life of the Holy Spirit. It's just an incredible book. Cool. Okay, that'll go on there as well. Um, all right, I was checking out your uh, checking out your website, and um, so let's talk a little bit about messy. Mm. Uh, when did you write that book? And I mean, the so I think the byline was like God likes it that way, or or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Messy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I wrote that about six years ago. That was the first uh, first popular book that I wrote, and oddly enough, it's the one that's had the best traction. It, it, it it's kind of got a cult following among a, a group of my mom's best friends, um, <laughs> yes. which is. They, there's a small group of, of single women in Salem, Oregon, that really love that book. Uh, no, the truth is, actually, it has. I mean, it's been purchased quite a bit. A lot of people read it, and I'm really thankful for that. But it's a, um, a really a book on on how um, God, God is not afraid of 
uh, the mess of our life. I borrow on the image of God's creation narrative when God creates the world, the tohu vavahu, the, the chaos of creation, and then the, the Spirit of God hovers over the chaos. And I, uh, the, the whole book is built on that metaphor that God's, uh, God's Spirit really hovers over the chaos of our life. Um, so yeah, it's a fun little book that I wrote a number of uh, a number of years ago, and then I wrote another book uh, that came out last year called A Glorious Dark, which is on what has been called in church history the Triidium, the three days: yeah. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Holy Week, which is obviously perfect for this uh, this time of year. Um, and it looks at, at the three days that every Christian will need to walk through. We will all need to walk through Friday. We'll all need to walk through Saturday and Sunday. Not only do we resurrect, but we also die. And then we also experience the day of wait, what I call the awkward Saturday, the day of waiting yeah. um, in between. And so of your books, which one would you say you had to bleed the most? I had to bleed the most? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've only written one, but book number two, I'm just already bleeding a whole lot more, it feels like. Um, which, which one was, you know, sort of hardest or most personal? Yeah. Um, I would say that the dusty ones was the hardest one to write, but I ring truest with its message probably than the three. And I would say a glorious dark is the most personal because I narrate, uh, narrate a number of struggles in my own life, including a struggle with alcohol. Yeah. Um, and so the easiest one was uh, was the first one I wrote, and my wife says it's because I've been saving yeah up all those ideas for you know a decade. Um, so yeah, the, I would say that the most personal one is a glorious dark, and the hardest one was the the dusty ones. And would you call your journey of sobriety? Would you call that a kind of wandering or not? Hmm. You know, I. Um, my struggle with alcohol uh, definitely at the time felt like wandering. But w- when I look back now, I see God's hand all over it, which is so much often the case in our relationship with God. We often don't know God was up to something until he's until it's all finished. Yeah. Um, and so I would I would say, man, yes, it was as anything. It was as close to wandering as anything I've ever experienced. Um, and God was closest in those times, just um, incredibly close to me providing and taking care of me and shepherd me through through the process. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard somebody once say that if you preach to the perfect, um, no one will ever come. But if you, if you preach to broken people, then um, you won't be able to keep them away. And I, I feel like if, if there's an audience that I resonate with the most, um, it is the, the destitute, the broken and the, the, per, the, the addict, the person who's, who just, um, is caught in their own brokenness. I, and people that are really honest about that. I really resonate with, with that, with that group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's coming through in the dusty ones. Um, and I'm looking forward to read to reading some of your other work as well, especially a glorious dark as we're heading into that season, uh, just next week. So, uh, okay. So some endorsements, uh, one from Alan Hirsch, one from Seth Haynes. And someone said you're, Seinfeld and Kierkegaard rolled into one, <laughs> which I loved. Yeah. So it's like yeah. Seinfeldegard. I mean, is that so? Um, 
I love it. So what do you what do you do uh, to relax, to have fun when it's your Sabbath? What do you and your family do um, when you're having fun? Yeah, man. We I love wrestling with my son. That's one of my favorite things to do. He's a big wrestler. He's only four, and I still cream him every time we wrestle. But I love. He's getting closer and closer to being able to take me down. I love yeah. wrestling. I love my family. Love good food. Portland's got lots of good food. We love eating good food. Um, love being at home. We love gardening. We got a huge garden in our house. Um, hanging out with friends, being with my family as much as possible. Um, I also love to make kombucha. Do you know what kombucha is out there, Steve? No. What is that? Kombucha. Every one of your listeners needs to go buy some kombucha. It's fermented tea, and it's filled with probiotics. It's super good for you. Um, and it's kombucha, K-A-M-B-O-U-C-H-A, kombucha. And I brew it at my house. Man alive, am I good at it. I, I don't do much well, but I do this really well. <laughs> and then I love to cook. And we love to watch watch movies and go on long walks and yeah um yeah man just the portland life we, we love we love getting a beer that's great that's great okay uh a couple more things todd Heastand is a buddy of yours todd oh yeah man that guy's crazy yeah uh friend of mine as well not at i mean mostly from a distance uh yes. a friend of a friend but he so shout out to todd todd if you're listening oh, man. now is, is he out in portland now he is. He's a part of our church. He is. And okay, I, I've cool. had to threaten to excommunicate him like seven times now. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, when a Protestant excommunicates, that's a big deal. That's a big so, deal. So watch out, Todd. Watch. Yeah, Todd needs to be very careful. Out. Now, he used yeah. to be in Philly. And he did, yeah. part of a church called uh, The Well or, no, mm-hmm. it was, uh, yep, was the, it well. the Well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. one of my friends, Brad Jackson, is a, is a, planted The Well. And so, yeah, I mean, a million years ago or 15 years ago, maybe. And so, and then Todd was there for a while. And then, and then now I'm kind of, you know, keeping in touch with Todd through Instagram and and those very impersonal ways. But um, he seems to enjoy uh, the Portland life. So hello, Todd. Yeah, I'll give him a shout out for you. I know he'll be happy to to help. Uh, Last thing, anything you wished I would ask you that I did not ask you? Hmm. Well, I wish you would have asked me about the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, man. I mean, tell me. I mean, what is going down with the Trailblazers? Well, they're better than the Wolves. That's pretty much <laughs> what I can tell you. You know the Which, Wolves have an absolute curse. I mean, the Wolves they are do. cursed. Yep, yep. They are and, cursed. Yeah, yeah, there's, although this whole Kevin Garnett coming back, man, beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. And people beautiful. love that around here. But, you know, my dad just sent me this this graphic, of course, when... Uh, Curry, you know, the year that Curry was drafted, he was drafted third. I think we drafted Ricky Rubio uh, at <laughs> number one, maybe. And he's been injured, I think, for a total of about 550 games. Um, mm. I'm not totally sure about that. I, you know, that's not, I mean, don't absolutely quote me, but uh, yeah, the Wolves. So you're saying Rubio is not Stephen Curry? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I'm going to go on record in saying that. We love Rubio. We love the bearded one, but... Uh, yeah, so that's quite the the statement, Steve. (laughs) All right, man, AJ, so great to have you on the podcast. Um, the, the, the show, everybody, the show notes are going to be lengthy because 
I want you to check out his books. They're all on there, especially the dusty ones. But but maybe A Glorious Dark would be another good one to start with because we're, again, we're heading right into Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter uh, next week. So maybe start with Glorious Dark and move on to the dusty ones. I love how you think, AJ, and um, and just even talking with you now, uh, it just feels like we could sit down and be uh, be old friends from immediately. Mm. So uh, thanks for that. I'm going to include all of the other recommendations that you made on the, on the show notes. And also, I will point people toward your website. So if yep. they want to... If they want to listen to your sermons, if they want to invite you to speak somewhere, all that stuff is on your website? Yep, ajswoboda.com. Yep, S-W-O-B-O-D-A. Okay, and the book, his most recent book, just came out three weeks ago. It's called The Dusty Ones, and um, I'm about a third of the way through it, and I've really been loving it. So um, appreciate your time, AJ. Uh, peace to you. Say hi to Todd, and... Um, Hopefully our paths will cross again yeah, in real you, life. Thanks for having good. me, Steve. God's God's grace, brother. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.